The first loss in motion, I'm on the run now, who gon' stop me? Breaking out of these bars, yeah, they really dope, they caught me. But I got me a little more consciousness, which brought me a little more confidence. A little less patience for your incompetence, and more luck for my metropolis. I promise if you like the then, now you're really gonna love it. If you fold the other team, then you gon' deal with repercussions, I ain't nothing. Just check my record on the subject. Up. Welcome to On Resistance. This is Bobby London. We are Horizontal Radio Collective, and we just ended our five-week series, Hashtag War on the Poor. Thank you for listening. You can check out uh, our previous episodes on soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. This is J-Ray. Thanks for listening to us today. Hi, this is X. All right, so today we're going to discuss kind of just what exactly the War on the Poor is, maybe why we decided to opt into doing a radio show on KPFK or a radio collective at all. Um, And kind of, I guess, an on-air debrief. Because, you know, when you work on projects, also, like, take a moment to reflect. So let's get into it. Um, (laughs) War on the poor, what does that mean? Mm, What war on the poor means to me is taking into account, well, capitalism definitely, constructed poverty kind of, being a support for capitalism and allowing other people to hear perspectives that aren't really humanizing or understanding of poverty. Poverty is kind of this thing, I feel, where people feel it's something that is deserved in a way. People are like, oh, they're living in terrible, impoverished conditions, and if you work hard enough, you'll deserve the privileges that you receive from working hard, when in actuality, that rarely happens to a lot of people of color, to a lot of immigrants, to a lot of sex workers. You don't have the choice, let alone the opportunity to kind of work for something and get the actual fruits of your labor and it it just sucks that in this day and age there's this mentality where privileges are deserved but that also means that oppressions are are deserved too and i don't i don't agree with that i felt like at first when we started talking about what we would do with a platform a radio show which it is a platform it is a medium it is an opportunity of representation and i think it's important to acknowledge that was to like map out kind of all the different issues that are separated as issues by the dominant culture of the left and kind of try to put it together in some sort of cohesive journey so then we i don't know exactly how we came to term it the war on the poor but i think that in using that phrase we're trying to make a point and i'm trying to make a point that there are conditions of poverty and the people within those conditions are constantly forced to react to those conditions. But the poverty itself is a deliberate act against people. So the war on the poor is a very deliberate, well-orchestrated, well-protected plan to subordinate mass peoples in the population. And sure, it uses avenues like work. Like That's why I thought we started with work, because it was like, well, this is how you're taught that you have to work to like deserve this and if this doesn't happen then you're a bad worker and then you deserve what happens to you all the way to the point in the scale of government and militarization and so a lot of these models are inaccessible to large sectors of the population because of racism, heterosexism and ableism and so the war on the poor is actually dependent on underclasses of people and so it's really important considering I mean, the right-wing narrative is dangerous and is very clearly targeted against minorities and particular people that are made to be minorities within the system. But the left-wing liberal dialogue always 
promotes government as the solution. And so between these two, this binary of left and right, there's not a lot of analysis on the conditions at the bottom and how that's just kind of taken as an absolute and it absolutely shouldn't be. The interesting thing about like with War on the Poor and on the last show where we were discussing intersectionality is that although we kind of broke it up on from work or food justice or militarization, a lot of these topics end up also getting brought up on the other shows because they are, are all intersectional and because they are very deliberate attacks by the capitalists of the poor. And so when I think of war in the poor, I think the everyday struggle of trying to take the metro of people who are afraid of interaction with sheriffs. And then once they have that interaction, be giving it a ticket that costs 200 something dollars when they couldn't afford a dollar fifty to get on the train in the first place. The system knows that. The courts know that. They know that that person's not going to be able to afford to pay that ticket. And so things like these, $80 parking ticket, that's a deliberate attack on the poor. The criminalization of jobs, being a vendor or being a sex worker, or that is an attack on the poor because there are only so many opportunities that are available for people, and the system knows that, and they capitalize off it. And that's why they send them to their prisons, so that they, they can further capitalize off it and make money off it. And so the war on the poor is a very lucrative, I think, for the wealthy elite. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of exploitation that is being kind of covered up and used as a as a means. As This is just normal. It's normalizing exploitation to the point where people can't see it, to the point where... Yeah, we're we're all enculturated under these systems of of oppression like capitalism and ableism and white supremacy, sexism, heterosexism, but there are a few people who are actually really bearing the brunt of the oppression and really like feeling the the brunt of the oppression that um have been like Jay Ray had said, been so subordinated and and it, it's been so normalized that to question it is almost kind of asinine to them. It's been so normalized that how can people actually fight against against these things? How can you just change, you know, an entire culture? Because culture is so habitual that people aren't just aren't really aware uh, of the these kind of oppressions. I mean, on a level, they are because they feel it, but it's not it's not being talked about as as widespread as. We want it to be. I think that's changing. I think the culture is changing. I think resistance to these things is is happening. But I think that once you're given these these solutions that are provided to you by the government, by the state, it's so very pervasive and just kind of widespread that people are just going along with these solutions to these problems without even really questioning is is this effective change do i attain my autonomy or am i being you know sucked into neoliberalism and solutions to problems being primarily um driven by money and that being its own kind of brand of religion to the point where we can't do anything without funding and i feel like that is what autonomous solutions like creating collectives that want to exist in a different energy level than through hierarchy, we're trying to recognize that there is a war on the poor and that it is deliberate and that it is waged by certain people. But because we all live and benefit under this current system differently, we are all actors in this war on the poor and not to individualize the blame or to say that it affects everyone equally because of this intersectional oppressive mechanism. But 
because there is some degree of how we perpetuate this system, it's really important for people to come together collectively instead of deferring to the avenues of change given to us by the government, which often just enable and expand the government's power. So, you know, supporting electoralism is not supporting the poor, in my opinion. Supporting electioneering, it very clearly funds and supports a privileged representative class above to determine and and kind of outline the needs of the quote-unquote public. And we we have seen that this system isn't effective, it doesn't work. And I think that our challenge is to try to really break the hold that the government and these political processes of reform have over the people. And so the five-week series was really challenging for me because I felt like it was just just too many things. There's too many aspects and experiences of the struggle to try to fit into these radio show programs. And I felt like that's extremely challenging, in my opinion, but I think also necessary for people to speak out, to say that this is a war on the poor and the dominant solutions being talked about are absolutely not helpful to the people experiencing the brunt of this oppression. Yeah, I think most of the show was just providing some sort of opposition to to what is being imposed onto people who are oppressed under white supremacist, hetero-capitalist patriarchy. And I think that I want to focus on on liberation, and that's what we're we're mainly focusing on versus having to assimilate into the already existing power structures. Because it's when I think about the war on the poor, I'm not thinking about like, oh, what do the poor need? What uh, I'm <laughs> poor, you know. I but at the same time, I don't I don't think the solution is getting a bunch of money. I don't think that's going to solve the issue of of racism or sexism. The money that I get, it's economic, but it's not it's not social. It's not coming from a place where we are transgressing how we relate to one another on a social level it's just recreating these same issues or it's disappearing or you know not it's not letting these other issues be visible if we're just thinking in terms of economics i think that when it comes to assimilation i don't want to try to assimilate into having a really wonderful job and a really, you know, wonderful house and a car that to me seems more individualistic. It's still under these ideas and values that capitalism assigns to people just perpetuates this rugged individualism. It's like you don't need community when you got your own car, your own house, your own gated little area. It's just further sequestering ourselves from building that community. And the people in power, they don't want people building community because that would hinder their profit. It happens so many times where essentially any community that wants to become autonomous it's a threat to capitalists or people like these technocrats they're making money from our consumerism they depend on our consumerism they depend on us opting into this this rugged individualism uh, in order to sustain themselves so i think that we should just be hyper aware of these dynamics and question things yeah to me Voices aren't really heard on the radio or in this institution of Pacifica, specifically KPIPK. I think of wanting to break these barriers of ideas that you need to have some sort of credentials to be able to say the things that we're saying or talking about. And then also to be able to talk about things that 
not necessarily really being talked about in an explicit way. Instead of just saying war on the poor and never talking about capitalism and the capitalist system or being able to talk about a diversity of tactics and critique liberal tactics and try to push away and resist against the demonization of other tactics that are labeled as violent. Who gets to define what violence is? Who gets to label that as violent? The state. The state, <laughs> right? But then people reaffirm that, and they reaffirm it with their nonviolent statements or saying, you must stick in this permanent line, you must not leave it, which allows for the state to be able to target you easier. And so when I talk about things like property destruction, and I'm talking about it on air and realizing it's probably really bad security culture, but I know that this is a subject that is never really being able to be talked about on the air. And we need to be able to talk about it to make it so that it can't be something that so easily could be pointed at and a tactic that doesn't have to feel like it's so distant and inaccessible. Yeah, let's talk about consent. Let's talk about how communities of color are being edged out or communities of color that have existed have been colonized and they didn't originally consent to a crime of being indoctrinated into colonization or genocide. I, I don't consent to capitalism or having to be born into an economic system that I'm having to opt into. So, and that's for every, that goes for any system, really, you know, if we're going to keep being born into uh, economic systems that people don't consent to, then what is really the point? of liberation, of true liberation, I guess. There is something about challenging hierarchy and structures that have just been taken for granted as absolute, even though they were built on colonization, that is so controversial, makes you self-conscious to be the one that's talking about it, or and it does edge you out of spaces. Part of it is these tactics we're talking about, these ideas, these conversations, other people can have them. You can have them. The point is that we have been taught and conditioned to underestimate ourselves and to think that we're not capable of creating together or destroying together. We are absolutely capable and we don't have to think within this limited framework that we've been given by this representative system. Part of agitating on the radio has been, yes, getting out these critical ideas that don't belong to me. I've learned so much in the last three years in terms of revolution ideas but they do not belong to anyone and also you cannot just read them or learn them in a book that's what I did learn that mm -hmm. practice we have to break this idea that we're not capable and by trying to practice these things we will make them relevant to our time because all we have right now is a lot of like stuff that's been written on revolution for decades and people are trying to adopt prior models of revolutionary strategy. And really what we need to do is we need to practice, break the myth that we can't do this by ourselves. Or my mother asked me, she was like, well, who's behind you? What nonprofit group is behind you? And it's scary, but there's no one behind us. There's just us and what we build together and the repression by the state. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think in a way it's scary that we don't have any backing necessarily in name or in legal support. or right. But we have our ideas and we have the idea of creating a, a community of, or a culture of resistance. And determination, really. Yeah. The people are determined to kind of expose a lot of this corruption, expose this oppression. People are dedicated to this. I think by practicing what we've studied, it's given a, a lot of other people a lot of insight into really resisting in a way that is material 
when you have political philosophies that you are practicing that aren't dogmatic, you have the ability for reconciliation to reconcile real time and strategize real time with the things that are coming your way, the current situation that you're living in, the the zeitgeist of the time, and you can just you can operate under that. Because I feel like a lot of other strategies have been so dogmatic that it's not relevant because it's archaic. There isn't that reconciliation with what is currently coming at us, what we're currently have to deal with in terms of gentrification, the growing technology of the police state, the growing the growing narcissism that is created out of rugged individualism and the social media aspect. As wonderful as social media is for helping me to talk to people on a level that I never had before and be able to talk to people who are really far away, I'm also kind of scared. There's this weird dread with social media too. As much time as I spend on on social media, as well as what I'm seeing, people taking selfies in front of somebody that's go- that's trying to commit suicide on the freeway. That's scary. I want to reject that culture of narcissism that is growing, and I, I want a, a kind of, um, more than just me, I want to experience, you know, resistance with my comrades, resistance with people who aren't even necessarily my comrades and also check this unwavering snowball effect of rugged individualism that leads to apathy upon seeing displays of of love through this kind of resistance i you know i found other things still wavering on the side of nihilism and wavering on the side of meaninglessness and the (laughs) and the grand scheme of the universe you know how very small we are but how how very uh, fortunate we are to to yeah to be at times. <laughs> yeah, I think that's also a reason why people are so uncomfortable with anarchism. It's because there's no blueprint. It's not like oh this is what you're supposed to be. Where's the and program? Then, yeah, like the, and this is gonna happen, and this is what they said. And instead, it really is do it yourself. It really mm-hmm. is just direct action. And direct action meaning you doing something <laughs> like, and not waiting for someone to tell you that right. it needs to be done. And I think that anarchism is one of those things that, to me, I could only understand it through the practice of trying to do it and not even realizing that I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that whenever we get in conversations about revolution and people are like, oh, well, the revolution's going to be this, or you know, I want this for the revolution, or I want that for revolution, and I feel like, the revolution is this ongoing thing, but in whatever spark of revolt, however we imagine it and how it's going to look like in America, it's going to be one of those things where at that moment, you're only going to know what you're going to do and who you're going to be doing it with by doing the practice of it. And I think that we can try to learn from other movements and other revolutions and see what may come up, but trying to create some sort of plan to go by to me, it just reminds me of going to permitted or already planned protests that don't really allow for organic room for people to decide to take the march longer if they wanted to, or if people wanted to try to take a freeway. The trying to control, the idea of control in general is something that I'm trying to resist. 
So there's a lot of strategies for growing the struggle or growing the movement that are adopted by revolutionary groups, such as recruitment, where people are targeted. And what I like about anarchism is that it is something that has to be practiced. Like you can't be like indoctrinated into adopting this idea. It is based on voluntary participation. Direct action is effective in terms of blockading capital, in terms of taking space and horizontalizing it or challenging how it's used. But it's also propaganda by doing something. So I'm not trying to convince you to join the struggle. I'm just trying to take action against oppression, and that is my struggle. And through that, it exposes other people to different ways of interrelating and different tactics we can take and different actions we can take. So direct action as outreach. By taking direct action, we create spaces that are being used differently and we show that resistance is possible versus going door to door. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong going door to door, but going door to door and telling people, hey, resistance is possible. We can resist. Sign here and then I'll (laughs) come to my meeting and then I'll show you how to resist. It's more like, no, we resist in spite of conflict and including conflict and not erasing conflict. And through that, people see that resistance is possible versus trying to convince someone that resistance is possible. I feel like the anarchists, anti-authoritarians, and autonomists are trying to decrute people from uh, normally participating under capitalism as well as other really dogmatic political orthodoxy. Because political orthodoxy happens all the time. And people get wrapped up in so many ways that become habitualized and then it isn't necessarily effective change anymore. That's what happened with the nonprofits. It's been established by liberalism to conveniently live under capitalism versus how do we <laughs> liberate ourselves from the shackles of this economic system that privileges very few people and oppresses a mass, the majority of the people. So, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's all possible. The you know, it's all possible. Even though, yeah, I go through my waves and sometimes I'm like it's not happening and I get really discouraged and feel like despair because I feel like the sort of practice and resistance that I would like to see, um, I'm not seeing. And so therefore like the inspiration that, you know, that inspired me, um, I feel like I'm is missing. And but that doesn't mean that it's not happening, you know? It just means it's not happening in a large, um, collectively organized way in which I hope we are working towards. Yeah, that's part of the the struggle is the despair that comes with ineffective tactics or ineffective strategies. You see change on a very micro kind of level, but you're not seeing change in, you're not affecting systemic issues under all of these various forms of oppressions or corruption. Going along with there isn't a blueprint for the revolution mentality, there also isn't one way to measure success Mm. of the movement. And And work. How work is measured and how participation in the struggle is measured. Right now we're defining success or change by policy initiatives. And that's a completely flawed measuring stick. If we're measuring, it's about challenging what success means because this is largely an idea that has been created by capitalism. So it's more about community versus success, which is a very linear model. It's about what we create with each other. It's about the method. It's about the how. It's also getting away from the idea that if you're not organizing an action or if you're not 
organizing under some sort of title, you're doing some sort of respectable activism work, then you have stepped away from the movement. You're not involved. You're not doing the movement. And I feel like that narrative ends up making people feel disempowered from the idea that like their struggle is part of their daily lives and that there is no leaving the movement. This is what we were born into and this is what we'll die out of. It's kind of like Cloud Atlas. <laughs> and it's like, you know, as a, oh. a, as a movie, you know, I don't, I think the acting was pretty poorly done. Um, but I, I, I like the theme of it, that there's this constant struggle that has been happening. And, and I just see where I'm at, I'm just part of the long resistance of have and have nots of dark skin and female body individuals who have been resisting against these systems of oppression as long as they've existed and will continue to resist it. And hopefully we're just inching more towards the place where we can just live our lives and be and not necessarily have to continue to exist under these forms of which that have been pushed onto us. The struggle continues, continues, continues. Like it will just <laughs> continue on. But at the same time, in our particular instance of struggling, we are faced with the very real idea of nuclear catastrophe, lack of food for everything, like, you know, poisoning of all of the food and lack of water. And we're, we're losing more and more materials that were hoarded in the beginning and accumulated as wealth in the beginning and protected. Now it's kind of like, okay, we're, we're running out of these things that everybody needs in order to, to live. So how, how are the people in power going to deal with that mass kind of uprising? Because like America, we are at the center. This is the heart of the empire. Everyone is, is extremely detached from the, the workings and the uprisings and what's happening around the globe in terms of resistance, in terms of power. I mean, America's pretty young too, so politically it's not even on par with other countries. Other countries are just like, why aren't the Americans fighting in the streets more often than, ha I mean, people fight in the streets in America sometimes, um, but very rarely do you actually hear about these kind of collisions that bring about these existing attentions between uh, classes um, like you know, people and the police. So I think there's just a lot of a lot of internal and external work that Americans have to do because it's the empire. This is the root of imperialism in a lot of ways in, in connection with all of Western civilization, I guess. But yeah, industrial civilization, I feel like it's gonna, it either needs to come to a halt and we have to help destroy that or it's just going to collapse into itself to the point where people have ignored it. But now, now, since it's affecting them, that they have to consider losing their, their Benzes and their Prada and all that other fancy stuff that, you know, people are wanting. Which makes me think of talking about the planet and all these resources that are being hoarded by the wealthy right now. Is that when I hear the idea of, oh, well, we're not going to see revolt in our lifetime. We're not going to really see any change. And we have to. We are running out of drinkable water. So I feel like this idea that America is just going to sleep through the global uprisings is, one, lacking to acknowledge the uprisings that have taken place here, the fact that black struggle has always been in constant revolt, but also not acknowledging the fact that human supremacy is really being challenged and that we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight for our right to live.
now there's fighting, but it's very individualized. When people are targeted by cops, other people drive by and put their head down, don't want to look at the reality. And we need to shift to collectively fighting. I also think that when you look at the magnitude of the situation that we're within and you decide that you don't want to be complicit and that you want to do something about it, there's like the typical reform or revolt and oh we have to respect reform but time and time again we see that revolt is not acknowledged revolt is used revolt is silenced to protect reform or the binary of we have to work within the system or outside of the system there is no outside of the system we are all situated in different ways within the system and we're maintaining it by participating in it or trying to claw our way out of it in terms of hope I don't really think that hope is required. I think a lot of social justice movements really were kind of forced to hope and to be positive. And I think this is something also that may be unique to our experience, but also maybe a product of capitalism too, where you have to make the best of your circumstances and you can't complain about it and you have to be grateful for what you do get under capitalism. And I just want to say that I am in support of positivity and I am in support of hope, but I also am in support of despair. Whatever the binary is that we encounter when we're trying to agitate and revolt from these circumstances, challenge all the binaries. Yeah, I don't know. Challenge the stagnancy of what happy is. Because like you said, I think that happiness is a capitalist notion. There isn't just a stagnant happiness. (laughs) We don't have to make the best of this. We can destroy it. No. And on that note... So we're going to be on break due to the fun drive because KPFK exists under the capitalist system as well. And we will be back with new shows for your enjoyment and ours as well. And you can stay in touch. We have a Tumblr on resistanceradio.tumblr.com. You can listen to all our past shows on soundcloud.com slash on dash resistance. Hit us up on Twitter. Keep in touch. If not, enjoy however long that fun drive takes. And we'll see you on the other side. Right now, I'm just trying to be able to survive. And I feel like that is part of the war on the poor is to force individuals' lives into having to just be able to survive in this capitalist system. And then and then what makes it the war on the poor isn't that it's just not the economics. You're saying X, that it's also all these other different degrees of oppression that, that we are forced to try to resist. And so when you're in this constant state of just trying to, how am I going to have food? How am I going to have a place to stay? How am I? It creates a situation that capitalism does into force assimilation. For me, with this radio show, it's interesting because we'd had the five-week series, but those weren't our first shows. And so it was interesting to look back like two years ago on our first two shows and to like re-listen to those and just kind of like hear where I was at. And then to hear where I'm at now, just sort of politically or perspective-wise. And and so what I would hope is that, for me, is to, like, empower people to self-empowerment, because I feel like that's what this process has been for me, is me trying to empower myself to feel even comfortable speaking my thoughts and ideals publicly or speaking on the mic, my own all insecurities. And so I feel that that is also part of, you know, people's internal revolutions. It's like sort of empowering themselves. And yeah, so I hope that that is something that people feel. Because I feel like a lot of what you hear, a lot of our voices are marginalized. Whenever you really hear anything in like mainstream media about black women, I feel like there's these stereotypes and it's really disempowering. 
So I'm providing alternatives of just like hearing other voices you know, of, of black women of being like feeling empowered and not being okay. Yeah, I think there's this common misunderstanding that by saying that marginalized voices should be empowered, that that's the end of the conversation, that we just want empowerment. And so I think that it's important for people to realize that it doesn't harm our liberation to make space for oppressed and marginalized voices to find their voice. Ultimately, it will just grow the struggle. And there's a lot of critique about quote-unquote representation. And I think that we there is unequal representation under the current systems and that needs to not be dismissed in for by the reason of there being a necessity for a collective struggle the need for a collective struggle isn't harmed by people's voices becoming valued or not being silenced, dismissed. That makes me think of just sort of, because I've been hearing a lot of representation critiques in, for uh, certain Twitter celebs. And so it's interesting because I think that there comes a point where for me, I, I'm not trying to represent anyone but myself. And I think that the intentionality of like trying to be in horizontal, but also try to, for some of these Twitter celebs or like, social justice bloggers who have been sort of elevated to a status of representation that I feel like I don't necessarily think that they've decided to choose like they purposely did it I just think that I think it was forced upon them and kind of given to them and I don't think they've necessarily have my critique on them is that they haven't stepped back and sort of acknowledged that and sort of publicly critiqued that themselves but I guess in regards to representation sort of kind of not wanting to do that because yeah I'm not here to represent anyone but myself and my ideas yeah, in our last segment, we were talking a little bit on, on representation and on, on social hierarchies. And I feel because because Americans and, well, I guess because everyone is kind of steeped under, you know, these ideas of social hierarchy and internalizing all of the social hierarchy is this kind of, this kind of, it keeps perpetuating this whole glorification a particular people who are in positions the uh, positions of empowerment or positions of success you have people instead of wanting to build their community from the ground up despite the odds um, you have instead people being so affected and influenced by the media that they want to actually leave their community and go somewhere else. They're influenced by affluence. They want to go into like an affluent community and live like the celebrities do. And I still feel like within the element of community building, there's still a lot of this idea that, yeah, you can be in social justice movements and be part of that, but think about your well-being. Like you don't want to be poor and you, you want to think about what you're, what, how you're going to live, how you're going to be how you're going to provide for yourself, how you're going to provide for your loved ones. Yeah, I think the glaring point that I take away from these kind of conversations is that if society and social hierarchy is saying that now this person has representative power, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that person has representative power. But because of that narrative of representation, um, you know, if other people are placing you in that role, critiquing representation and like using that so-called position to critique representation, I think is really important as opposed to adopting and upholding the values mm. of the structure, the misrepresentative structure and assimilating. Like I think there's clear choices 
that can be made there. And so I guess, I don't know, in terms of having this opportunity to discuss ideas on the radio, clearly in a very controlled space that has a lot of, most institutions do have a lot of gatekeeping in terms of which voices are valued. I just often feel that so yeah, entrenched into our daily lives, defer to your elders or defer to the people that are successful. What does success mean under under capitalism? And what are the values that you're having to perpetuate under capitalism to attain this kind of social status? And then social status also being a side effect of capitalism. If there was less representative logic within the frameworks that we're fighting under. Representative organizing, for example, is something that will strip people of their autonomy, and so does representative democracy. It also strips people of their power to be themselves. Also, I think a lot of times when you hear any discussion going on about the poor, it's usually someone that's not poor that's talking about it. So who is telling our stories? And so for me, what I appreciate is the idea of us telling our own stories instead of having someone else represent that for us. And when we talk about the war on the poor, these are our own experiences, our own perspective, and something that we are living. And that's one of my critiques with a lot of MSM medias when they talk about these things and they're able to just continue talking about like, oh, you know, another black person was shot or oh, another family was deported, or oh, you know, another person was kicked out of their house. They talk about it from such a distance, not really experiencing these things, and they're profiting off other people's struggle. They're profiting off our struggle. And I think getting away from that sort of media, that's why I appreciate social media, because I feel like social media basically lets everyone be the media and gives everyone a sort of opportunity to have their voice. Especially in terms of social media, it almost allows you to share yourself in a way where you can create some sort of voluntary community based on actual ideas that you have that other people share versus institutional settings where you're not in a space or in a classroom because you share affinity or values or anything. You're in that space because that's an assigned process because it's like a factory setting. Social media kind of just takes the control out of the elevated mediators of our lives when you watch the news the news every other thing out of the news is the police said the police reported the police report says this is stuff that i was aware of before but now that i've exposed myself and been willing to make myself uncomfortable to learn more about oppression in the war on the poor is it's literally every other news story we're being told as the media is creating movies glorifying and making police out to be heroes These are the mediators of our oppression. This is the mediators of our news. The police, the city, the courts, these elevated paid positions, for some reason, they're taken for granted as honest or being credible Mm -hmm. or being representative. The point is they're absolutely not and that they only represent the capitalist system that they're paid under. Instead of having mediators determining what the narrative is that people accept, it's really important that we challenge whatever criteria of credibility it is. Like people can speak from their experience. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. That doesn't mean it isn't valid. It doesn't mean it isn't real. It doesn't mean that they have to say it in a nice way for you to finally be willing to hear it or understand it. It's not going to be nicely packaged 
I think that's okay. And I think that people articulating and sharing their genuine struggles really does make things uncomfortable because you have to choose. You have to choose, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to ignore it? Am I going to continue to be apathetic? Am I going to continue to just listen to the news? Or am I going to seek out alternative forums where people are talking about how the police do not serve my community's needs? How many times we've to scream this? It's not going to be on the news, but it doesn't mean it's a less valid perspective. Yeah. I agree. I don't feel that we need to necessarily be in these organizations, in an organization to make some sort of difference. I just love it when I see people on the street, in a neighborhood, just talking to each other. I really enjoy seeing that. And they don't need to be in an organization to interact that way or to find out other ways to to help each other. I think that a lot of times in organizing circles, it's necessary to be represented by an organization. It's all in the name and how many numbers the name can bring out. When in actuality, I think that what would be more empowering is giving people the, the space time to actually assert their own perspectives and be on a horizontal level with each other. It seems like there's always these issues of people being edged out because they're not on the same level of other people who are organizing within an organization, so they're edged out. And often I feel at times um, horizontalism is confused with allowing everybody inside of like a particular space, I think. In order to really achieve some sort of autonomy, people need to recognize that they have autonomy and recognize that another person is an autonomous person as well. And they have to consent and cooperate with each other's self-determination and self-interest in order to sustain that autonomy between each other. And collectively, it can flourish from there. Thank you for listening to Yeah, that was great. No, I prefer lioness. I got the heart of a hunter beating in my chest. Come correct, you fraudulent, so pique my interest. You see your empress working for her throne, respect the intellect. And please, some space. Yeah, I'ma need that. Just check to tap your feedback, you can keep that. I go by Ariessa, ain't impressed by all your flexing. There's gonna be what you trying to do. Are you a get to step in? I mean, what is this? The chronicles of ridiculous shits. Seems like everything I do, somebody's got my name on their lips. Why don't you get some business of your own in my net instead? Girl, you might look the part, but this what's in your head. From the swing of my hips to the swing of my dreads. Island girl, rest of pride, Caribbean bread. I trade you for some insight from my Nogateria. But I promise you won't find this shit on Nick. I'm real quick, get fluent. And the lingo that's congruent. That the old folks, my vibe to young whippersnappers, my jig to you ain't too cool, my dude. I promise you we're too. Mine probably felt up like the homie Freddy Krugs. I'm not rude, just honest. I'm not shy, but modest. My earthies in the bodice. My bestie than your mama's mama. I give the drama that you try to avoid, but I'ma force your ass to feel me just now. Scoot up and take it in the first time I lost him. The second time I cost him, I take cash and visas. Mike check me up. The Rick, the meter for Sheezer. I need the sugar savageza. Gov name Felicia. Air of last and Vera. And as the story unfolds, I need you to open up your minds and understand the makings of the boss. Don't you know what boss when you see one, see one, see one, see one, see one. Don't you know a boss when you see one, 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 see one,
Thank you.